Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hey friends, Elisa Childers here. Today we're going to talk about all things Mama Bear apologetics with my guest Hilary Ferrer in just a moment. My guest today is Hillary Ferrer, and she is the founder and Mama Bear in chief, and all around. <laughs> I was gonna say something <laughs> that I can't remember now, but it was okay. Let me try that again. You're having trouble with wording today. I am. Well, maybe we'll just let the people hear how it usually is with us because <laughs> whenever we talk, Shut we just up. start laughing. Pull, you know, pull the curtain aside to see what it's like. <laughs> We're not all polished and perfect. Well, Hillary, who you've just met, has her master's degree in biology from Clemson University, and she specializes in scientific apologetics, critiques of the Darwinian mechanism, dealing with doubt, and identifying causes and solutions for youth who are leaving the church, which actually I've been meaning to have you on the podcast to talk about all of those things at some point anyway. Yeah, we have talked uh, about that. And <laughs> we, we do. Uh, but her new book just came out and it's called Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. And if you have been listening to this podcast for any time at all, you have heard me talk about this book because Hillary was gracious enough to invite me to write a couple of chapters for it. And in fact, the whole book really turned out to be more of a collaborative effort. And uh, so, Hillary, I've been on your podcast a couple times, so it's kind of exciting for me to get to welcome you to mine. Yeah. Now, I was going to correct you. I was like, it's not my new book. It's our new book. Well, I, yes, but, you know, you're the general editor. You're the mama bear-in-chief. The, the uh, what was the, <laughs> I still can't think of the word I thought of earlier that I was going to rave on you with, and it's just left me, like, Aww. all around, in like, fearless leader. That was it. You have been a great leader Aww, through this whole process. You. So so why, you know, you, you get this contract with Harvest House to write a book, Mama Bear Apologetics. Why, what made you decide to make it a collaborative effort? I immediately knew that I wanted to make it a collaborative effort just because I really want Mama Bear to always feel like a collaborative effort. I never wanted it to mm. be uh, just me. I wanted, I wanted to draw in women as much as possible because I think there's a lot of women out there who have a voice and they maybe don't have the time, especially moms. They don't have the time to, you know, have their own, <laughs> well, except for if they're super women like you, uh, to have their well, own podcast and their own website and their own everything. My kids are a little older though. I couldn't have done it when they were little. That's true. And your husband knows how to do all the audio stuff uh, and, and was able to teach you. Yeah, definitely. So back to the question of why did I make it a collaborative effort is that I just think that there's a lot of moms out there who really would have a voice or who would have thoughts to share and don't have the time to create all this themselves. And so I've wanted to bring them in. I've wanted to really invest in women and in moms to talk about what they know. And so like Hillary Short was one of the ones that started out like that, that she just found out about Mama Bear Apologetics and she wanted to get involved. And so I said, what's your passion? And that's where Playground Apologetics was was born is she's like, I have this idea of like how to talk to other moms on the, you know, on the soccer fields. And I thought, Ooh, playground. I can't, well, I can't actually, I can't remember if she came up with the name or I came up with the name. It might've been together, but that she would be an example of like one of those moms I was trying to pour into. And so I just, um, I started gathering the women that all, were already involved with Mama Bear and uh, uh, tried to pull in. I tried to get in a, a few established authors who at first agreed to write, but then they had to pull out at the last minute for very, very legitimate reasons. I wasn't, I didn't feel shafted at all. But yeah, so I just wanted it to be a group project. And honestly, I do not think I could have written this book on my own. I think the process, and, and I hope you agree, the best part of this book 
was those weekly Skype meetings that we had where we read our chapters out loud to each other and we had it up on the Google Docs and everybody's like typing their comments while we're talking and or someone will say, ooh, that doesn't make sense. Here, let me try a different thing. And they they put in a different phrasing. Someone put in a note to the side, would put a third phrasing. Then we'd all say, oh, which phrasing do we like? So I think there's a little bit of all of us in basically every one of these chapters. And I think that's why I feel so not I feel I can unashamedly publicize this and just promote it just because I don't feel like I'm promoting me. I feel like I'm promoting us and what what we not us, you and me, but us, the seven of us, what we did together. Yeah. And that, I think, uh, for me, was what made it so special as well, because this, of course, is the first uh, time I've been published in a book. And so it was really cool, actually, to get my first copy a couple weeks ago or whenever it was and see my name there and and what I wrote, but, but realizing that so much of this is really the fruit of us getting together every Monday night, getting on Skype together, praying. There was a lot of prayer prayer involved in this this process. Yes. And, and I just love that, you know, I, I had the backup of being able to say, okay, like I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never done this before, but let me read you what I've got. And, and all of the, the girls, all of the women who were involved in this, would would pop in and and make their comments or or say well here's a great example or here's a great quote you can use for this point mm-hmm. and things like that so we all really helped each other along uh, in that process so that did I think make it really extra special and it gave us all really a sense of ownership yeah. on the book too to be able to say and and this is the cool thing and I told you this Hillary before we started recording when we were just kind of talking a minute ago is that when you know, you work, it's kind of like this in the music business too. You spend all of this time uh, writing songs, recording the songs, and then they got it goes to mix and that goes to mastering. There's so many different uh, things that have to happen before you actually have a physical copy of the album in your hand, or I guess they don't call them albums anymore. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been in the music I business. I still call them albums. Do they? Okay. Uh, but you know, so holding the book in my hands, I thought, okay, like I'm so close to this creatively. I wonder what this is going to look like to the average person who's just opening the book. Yes. And so I opened the book and I start reading and I, and I'm just going, this is so good. (laughs) And I, and I can say that because the first chapter I didn't have anything to do with. And, and it's just, you know, I can brag on it because it's so good. I want to actually read an excerpt of this chapter one, because I think that this will give moms an idea of the tone of the book, the overall kind of mood of the book. And so, so this chapter one is called calling all mama bears. My kid has a Cheerio shoved up his nose. Why am I reading this book? (laughs) I think that came I think that came from one of our Skype meetings where it was probably probably anything really wacky like that is probably Hillary, Hillary Short. Short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was like, um, I don't know what I'm doing. My my kid has a Cheerio shoved up his nose. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to put that in the book. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's true. Like so many moms, moms are busy and they're they're at a crazy time of life where you know, the only alone time you pretty much have is when you go to the bathroom, if you if even get you that. Get because that. Yeah, there's a lot of times. <laughs> I remember saying that to someone and one of my mom friends was like, you get to go to the bathroom by yourself? <laughs> like, what's that like? <laughs> so then I felt kind of spoiled. Like, I'm pretty fancy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I want to read this because this gives, this will really give people an idea of, of what they'll be getting into. The book deals with a lot of really deep topics, but they're dealt with in a way that's really easy to understand. It's like we're taking your hand and bringing you along with us. So this is how the book begins. It says, I rather, and this is Hillary's uh, uh, chapter here with Julie Luce. She says, I rather enjoy the phone conversations I have with my mom friends, especially those who are moms of young children. Where else can I hear someone yell nonsensical statements like, don't put the chicken on the trampoline? (laughs) I did a survey asking our mama bears for the weirdest statements they'd ever had to utter as a mom. There are quite a few responses regarding things that should not be licked. For example, eyeballs, cars, and elephant's butt. (laughs) My favorite response was, we do not put wise men in the toilet. As a mom, I'm sure there are plenty of phrases that you never thought would leave your mouth. Let's be honest. Who has to clarify that poop is not paint? Moms, that's who. (laughs) Mom, life is a special calling and not for the faint of heart. Most moms would tell you that it's the hardest and the best job in the world. 
on one hand, there's no alone time for the about the first eight years, unless you know the bathroom trick. I'm mm-hmm. adding that in there. <laughs> and you don't get to call in sick. Ain't that the truth? On the other hand, what other job allows you to snuggle with your clients while they show you how big of a spit bubble they can make? And then you go on to talk about how moms are managers. We, uh, we don't just manage people. We create people. And so we have the honor of training our kids and bringing them up. And so there's a responsibility. You know, I think mama bear thing comes natural to moms, especially yeah. in the physical realm. Like when somebody's threatening our kids physically, ever like there are stories of moms lifting cars off of Even children. Even grandmothers you know, to, lifting cars. It's yes. like this, this, <laughs> yes. this adrenaline rush of a mama bear or a grandmother mama bear that sees their child or grandchild in danger. It's like, it's, it's, you, you don't mess with that. Yeah. It's, it's for real. It's a real thing. Uh, but we sometimes don't think about that applying to the realm of ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the predatorial threats that are in the ideological realm, and that's really what this book is all about. Uh, so, so there are lots of different apologetics books out there. Why did you feel it was important to write an apologetics book that's geared specifically for moms? Um, something that I had learned several years ago when I got involved with women in apologetics was that there were a lot of women that would not read something unless it was written by a woman, which totally shocked me because I've been really comfortable in in guy world for most of my life. I'm a daddy's girl. I've, you know, been in the sciences and, um, I, I just was unaware. And so I thought about it and I, and whenever I would go to apologetics conferences, I noticed, where are the women and especially where are the moms? And so, but Mm -hmm. I I noticed that most of the time apologetics conferences are the only conference that doesn't have childcare and excuse me, like a lot of other conferences, they'll have childcare so that mom and dad can go together. And so what happens for apologetics conferences is is dad's already interested in this because, you know, it's been like, I have another um, article out that talks about why went, you know, not only do women need apologetics, but apologetics needs women. And that this Mm. has been a little bit of a bastion of men for so long, but the women are starting to really rise up and saying, no, we, we want to do this too. Um, so the men are already interested. So somebody has to stay home with the kids. Who's that going to be? That's going to be mom. Um, and I also stumbled across an article that was talking about the number of questions that a that a woman that a mother gets from young children. It was something like three hundred questions a day, which they said that's more than the Queen of England gets during an interview. So I thought, wow. who do you think is getting the spiritual questions first? And so I just felt this burden for just seeing how busy my mom friends are and how they just don't have time. And so I thought, how can we get apologetics into their hands in a way that's practical, in a way that they can understand? Um, Because I kind of, I joke around that moms are the 1040 window of apologetics, 1040 window being that that missionary term of like the most unchurched areas. Um, It's it's latitude, not latitude, longitude. Maybe it's the two longitudes that are are between. And so I kind of felt like that was it for moms. And I thought, a mom wants to read something that's specifically written for her, and I really wanted to make it practical for a mom because she doesn't have time to sift through and figure out, okay, what's what's relevant to my life and what's not. It's like she needs mm. the goods immediately because she just she doesn't have time. Um, mm. So I, yeah, that's why I really wanted to target moms and the fact that nobody else had done it. I was shocked that mm. nobody had mm-hmm. really specifically targeted the moms. And I thought, good grief, someone needs to write something for them. I'm, you know, I'm not a mom, but okay, Lord, I'll do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I agree. That's so important because there are a couple out there for parents, but specifically for moms, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. And I think that that's such an important book to write because one thing I see online all the time is that moms will follow all of these pages of mom bloggers that are, you know, funny. It gives them a little relief from their day. They can relate with the stories that are being told. And so they gravitate to these kinds of pages. But often these mommy bloggers aren't, you know, not Christians, or even sometimes if they are, they're they're just kind of weak theologically yeah. and not really giving moms valuable information to help really train yeah our kids in the ways of the Lord. And so uh, with all the different kinds of apologetics books out there, there's a lot of different directions that we could have taken this Oh, one. yeah. 
And I remember us kind of sitting down going, what kind of a book is this going to be as far as content? You know, are we going to do like existence of God and defending the resurrection and reliability of the Bible, kind of the classic apologetic stuff. But we kind of landed on specific lies that culture is telling our kids. And uh, so, so I want to read some of these chapter titles because, and again, I just, I'm, I have to brag on you because these are your, you know, this is your influence and your uh, genius behind all My of this. My sense of humor is definitely um, <laughs> evident throughout a lot of the book. <laughs> it really is. It's so great. And so they're, they're, you know, the, the lies that we talk about are, uh, we talk about self-helpism and naturalism and postmodernism, Marxism, all these kind of isms that could sound kind of stuffy, but wait until you hear these chapter titles. So, uh, well, I already read number one, Calling All Mama Bears. My kid has a Cheerio shoved up his nose. Why am I reading this book? Number two is How to Be a Mama Bear. Is this code for being the weirdest mom on the playground? <laughs> uh, there's one called uh, My Brain is Trustworthy According to My Brain. And that's naturalism. And you'll know why that's funny when you read the chapter. Um, I believe in God if there were any shred of evidence. That's skepticism. Uh, The truth is there is no truth. That's postmodernism. You're wrong to tell me that I'm wrong. Moral relativism. Uh, One of my favorites, emotionalism. Follow your heart. It never lies. Oh, that's right. (laughs) You can always follow your heart. Yes. And then, oh, this is great. A chapter you wrote on Marxism. Communism failed because nobody did it right. (laughs) And then uh, an important chapter, The Future is Female, on feminism that you and I and Rebecca Valerius co-wrote together, uh, because there's so many knots tangled up in the whole realm of feminism, you know, because... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're glad that you can vote and own property oh, but yeah. at the same and be time. educated. I'm totally pro all yeah. those things. I'm glad I got, you know, I could go to college if I had wanted to and <laughs> all of that, but, but, you know, modern feminism has taken a, a bit of a dark turn here. So we talk about that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really practical things that, uh, that we talk about. So as we, as we were kind of shaping how the book was going to going to look why did you think it was important for moms to know about things like postmodernism and marxism and all the the sort of isms that that we're finding in the book so when harvest house first approached me about about writing a mama bear apologetics book my number one um concern was that i didn't want to write a book that was already out there and uh, Natasha Crane, probably the only one of the only other person persons people that are specifically targeting parents is Natasha Crane. And so I, I can't remember if her second book had just been released or if she just had her first book out. But I wanted to make sure that we basically weren't duplicating her book. And I actually yeah. called her uh, before we started brainstorming our book to to say, okay, what is something that you would like to write about, but you don't have the time to do because she was already locked in for three other. Um, right. and so we just kind of, she and I started talking about ideas. And so I think I, I brainstormed a lot of these chapters were from like my initial brainstorm. And it was this idea that we can look at all the individual questions and that's what Natasha does. And I think that's extremely important for parents. And I encourage all parents mm-hmm. to get her books. Um, those are the actual questions that are coming. And the thing that I wanted to address was where are the questions coming from? Mm. Uh, because I, I consider, I think I give this, this analogy in the book, that game whack-a-mole that you play, um, you know, at a carnival game where the little mole head pops up and you bop it on the head. It's like, that's kind of like a spot treatment of what's going on, but you're not getting to the root of the problem. And I thought there's mm. all these ideas that are the root of the problem that if kids were trained not to fall prey to these lies in the first place, then when those questions start popping up, maybe from their friends or they see it on the internet, they already have a kind of scaffolding, a paradigm in in their Mm. mind of why the question doesn't even make sense itself. Mm. Uh, And so they don't even feel the need to ask the question because they actually have a more firm foundation from which to build. A lot of times those questions come from kind of not very good foundation um, of things that don't fit together. So I was like, we really need to get to the root of the problem. And that's what Mm. I was trying to do with this book. What's a, give us a practical example of this. Like what would be one of the questions that you might find in Natasha's book that's really informed by one of the philosophies we talk about in our book? Um, I guess the first one that comes to mind is just a lot of questions regarding science. And probably just because since I was so steeped in that during my master's, 
I just got to hear so many times when people would pit science against God as if they were these two mutually exclusive things. Like, you know, even if you're a Christian scientist or a scientist that believes in God, you just kind of have to pretend that you don't while you do science. Otherwise, it's going to seep into your science and you'll do bad science. And I just didn't feel like that was true. This this idea of naturalism, which we discuss in the naturalism chapter, is technically materialist naturalism, the idea that um, the material world is all there is and everything that we see was caused by natural causes alone. And we can't have any kind of supernatural uh, causes at play here. Um, That itself is a philosophy. And so all these scientists that are saying, oh, we won't believe anything unless we can test it, unless we can prove it. If they're starting their testing and their proving process based on a philosophy. And so it's this idea mm. of, well, why is your philosophy more scientific than my philosophy? The, the answer is they're not. And so mm. um, if, if a kid can see how these things aren't competing to begin with, then when they have all these questions about how science can disprove God, they're going to say, hold on, that. I'm not going to say that it's t- there's there's a phrase that they use in science called non-overlapping magisteria. Let's say that these are two completely separate, um, what's the word, just domains. And I wouldn't go that mm-hmm. far, but um, but they're they they also they're not they're not as much in conflict as people think it out to be because um, when Barna did research on why youth are leaving the church, uh, science was a big deal for them. And I've met Mm. some of these kids where science was a big deal for them, where they thought that they had to pick between science and God. And so I think in in this book, we kind of address that. And the same thing also, if if we want to talk about underlying things from, for questions is this idea of, um, uh, truth. Uh, Mm. how can we determine truth? And so we go into that in the postmodernism chapter, we go into that in the moral relativism chapter. And basically we're trying to help kids make sense of a worldview. And when they see that the worldview that the world is giving them right now, the pieces don't fit together. It's like they, it's like they like all these little individual pieces, but they don't fit together. It's not coherent and it's not cohesive. And so it's less attractive when you see how not coherent and, and not cohesive it is. And so, um, so yeah, that would be another one where I think is preventing the, the question and of course, maybe yeah. like um, <clears throat> this idea of absolute certainty is also a theme in here of can we have absolute certainty about anything? Because what you'll see is uh, you'll, a lot of the people who are the hyper skeptics, which we address in the skepticism chapter, act mm. like that if, if you can't know everything for sure, then you can't say that you, you know, believe it. And so kids are thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have an answer for every single question. I can't have faith in God. Well, this takes uh, this diffuses that situation to where they don't. They're like, no, that's not the case. We we don't have absolute certainty with anything except for math and logic. So why are why am I asking for it in this area? I shouldn't yeah. expect to have absolute certainty. So it's it, yeah, it's proper expectations. I think is what this is kind of helping kids have. Okay, Mama Bears and Papa Bears and Grandmama Bears and Grandpapa Bears, if you've listened to this far, you're concerned about your kids and your grandkids and the world that they're growing up in and the worldview that they're being steeped in, the philosophies that are coming at them and all of these different ideas. And the Mama Bear Apologetics book is a great resource to help you to equip them in this world, but you're not alone. And I want you to know that there are great ministries that can come alongside you and help to equip you to do this. And one of those great ministries is Impact 360. Impact 360 Institute offers life-changing experiences that help students live out their faith with confidence. Uh, They offer on-campus experiences for high school students, high school graduates and young professionals pursuing a graduate degree, as well as courses and online equipping for leaders of all ages. So this is something you definitely want to check out. You can go to impact360.org to learn more. One of the things that I think makes this book so special and so unique is that you've got these chapters that have a lot of information 
this is this is a lot to learn. Even just reading about postmodernism, there's a lot to learn. The history of it and uh, how we're seeing it in our culture now. What what it looks like in a movie. What it looks like in kids programming. And so we talk about all of those things in the bulk of the chapter. But then at the end of the chapter, there's a couple of really cool uh, little sections. And and the first one. It says it's an acronym, ROAR. And it, so it says it's basically how to take what you've learned and roar like a mother. And so I wanted to ask you, what does that mean to roar like a mother? So uh, first off, do you remember what we started out with before roar? Yeah. Yes. The D's, the six D's. <laughs> that none of us could remember. We're yeah. like, if we can't remember it. The... Well, it's because they all started with D. How can I you know. Remember? I know. It's like at first it's like we thought it was this cool alliteration. Then it's like, nah, that's confusing. So, um, yeah, we went into ROAR, which stands for recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. So the R, recognize the message. Basically, what we're doing is you've kind of heard all about whatever ism that we're talking about, the history, how we got here, how it's influencing things. And so that R kind of takes everything and it boils it real down into, you know, real bullet bullet points of Mm -hmm. what are we actually talking about? How can you recognize this message in culture? What are some of the phrases that they're saying? And what is, what is the main, keeping the main thing, the main thing, just real good summary. Um, the offer discernment, which I talk about in, I, I believe it's chapter three, where it's the, the chapter on discernment, is the importance of not only pointing out the things that are wrong, maybe in a worldview, but affirming the good and the fact that we need the affirming the good has to come first. And the reason it has to come first is because there's, there's a lot of good and bad within some of these messages and people are reacting against each other. They think, oh, you're completely against me. Mm. Um, if you disagree with this. And so this is kind of extending that olive branch branch and saying, what common ground are we both standing on first? And let's, acknowledge that first, because most people don't think that, oh, I have a horrible worldview. It's like they, they think they're on the right track. They're yeah. trying to be on the right track. So you can affirm you maybe, okay, this is what you were trying to do. Mm. And then after you affirm the good, you identify and you reject the bad. And that's where we start picking up what are the lies that are being smuggled in to this worldview. So because it's a lot of times, it's a lot of really good sounding stuff, but then you get a couple of lies in there and it turns something that might be good and nourishing into a just, you know, poison that that's going right. to kill you spiritually and emotionally and ideologically. And so how can we pick out those kind of poisonous darts of those lies that are being snuck in? You know, it's kind of a Trojan horse there. Um, but, but keep the good also that it's offering. And that's where the argue for a healthier approach comes and is this idea of, okay, let's take the good that they were trying to do and combine it with scripture. How can scripture actually get us on the road that they were trying to go? What, what direction were they trying to go in? How does scripture actually address that issue in a healthier way? And then finally, the reinforce through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. It gives, um, conversational starters that you can have with your kids. It sometimes gives activities that you can do that kind of reinforce what they're learning. And then, of course, the part that I love, 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 because I think we are really one of the only apologetics books out there that has this, is the prayer section that we've got. Julie Lose, who I think she has been in Moms in Prayer for over 20 years, I believe, and she's been um, the college coordinator liaison for the last 10. And so they, she takes the, um, the acronym that I'm not sure what the actual acronym that, uh, uh, moms in prayer uses. It it might be the acts, the ACTS. And she translated it into pause for prayer, which kind of has this double, double meaning that P-A-W-S stands for praise, admit, worship through Thanksgiving and supplication, but also this idea of Let's just take time to stop Mm. and not just learn about this idea, but how do we pray truth over our children? Mm. I love that. In fact, that's one of my favorite things about the book. And Julie did such a fantastic job with this. She just poured through all of the chapters. And 
really picked out the main themes and the messages and then crafted these prayers. And what I love about this too, is I think a lot, a lot of Christians struggle with prayer. You know, how do we pray? How do we approach God? When, what do we ask for? When do we ask for it? And, you know, it's, I think it's, it's a hard thing for a lot of Christians. Or they just feel like they're talking to themselves. Or to and the like, wall. Yeah. Like it might, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I love that she's actually written these as prayers. You can read her words as a prayer to God. And so uh, I, I just, to give people an example here, I've got it open to the section, the prayer she wrote for my chapter on progressive Christianity, because anyone who's listened to this podcast uh, for any length of time knows I talk about that a lot. I beat that drum a lot. Uh, but, But I love that she turned this into a prayer. She says, God of history and time, you alone are the one true God, the real thing. You are the author of history as well as its creator and sustainer. You have given us sound doctrine. Your ways, words, statutes, and laws are perfect. They don't change or need changing. There's no shadow of turning with thee. You do not change on my whim. So it, I, she starts with praise. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then they admit, you know, forgive me and my family and others for any spirit of rebellion that prefers uh, your word done our way. I Ooh, thought that was so brilliant to say good. that. Help us to be diligent about discerning heresy and and forgive those who will not tolerate sound doctrine. She's quoting from the scripture there. And then the Thanksgiving yeah. part, she says, Father God, I thank you. And there's more. I'm just reading the, the little bits, you know. Little snippets. So, yeah, if you want to read the rest of them, yeah, you got to get the book. <laughs> but she says, and this is the worship with Thanksgiving part, Father God, I thank you that we have an intellectual faith with historical veracity and proven principles. I am in awe of the way that Christian values have been a force for good in the world. Thank you for the atonement. I mean, that's a great prayer, you know, when we're talking about progressive Christianity. Yeah. And then supplication, Lord, instill in me and your church a high view of scripture. Help me teach my children to examine ideas and teachings and understand terms correctly and not be deceived by slick sounding lies. I mean, these are, oh. these are really good prayers. I'm that, just beaming with pride over here. Just, <laughs> it's so good. She, she did such a good job. Yes, she did. I just, the whole team did. But man, I just, I love this. Uh, I'm so glad that she contributed these to this book. I really think that's one of the things that makes this book unique. And it makes it specific to uh, to moms as well, because I think moms have a special place in their heart for prayer. Like just mm. the organization Moms in Prayer, it's an international organization yeah. that has, I, I don't know how many members, but um, yeah. There's a special connection with moms and praying for their kids. And so we needed to include that. And I'm so, I'm so glad that uh, Julie stepped up and created such theologically rich prayers that you can pray over your kids. Yes. Because, you know, often apologetics can be a little dry. You, you know, you, you, you read, you know, some... Really? I never Yeah. <laughs> Did you not know that? <laughs> oh, that's new. Yeah. It can be a little dry. Just a little pro tip there. If you've never yeah. studied apologetics, it really can start to make you feel like, oh my gosh, like I am just like, it, it can make you feel like you're isolated Drowning off. in syllogisms. Yes. Drowning in syllogisms and... <laughs> Oh, just there's 10 different views on every little minute point in the Bible. Uh, but, but connecting all of that with prayer, I think, is such a way to keep your heart engaged as you educate your head. And I, I wanted to comment, too, because I love so much that roar section. I love what you said. It's not all good or all bad. I'm a real black and white person. So mm. I have to kind of push myself a little bit on this because I'm, I'm just like burn the whole thing down, you know, like that's <laughs> my personality. Uh, but it's very, this is very important because even when I talk about progressive Christianity, it's very important for me to acknowledge. And I'd write about this in my section on offer mm-hmm. discernment that when progressive Christianity first came on the scene, they were really bringing in some very legitimate critiques of the church. In fact, they were kind of asking some of the same, some of the same questions I was asking, you know, they were, they were, they were finding hypocrisy. You know, we, we condemn LGBT relationships, but we kind of give a wink and a smile at gluttony at the church potluck, you know, and they were pointing things like that out and that's all very valid. But as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, they were giving the wrong answers for that. And so I, I think that, that finding that common ground of, of, having compassion to even listen to someone's story of going through abuse in church or encountering hypocrisy, uh, or maybe they never experienced the real gospel, but just to have compassion and, and find that common ground where the conversation can start, I think is so important. And there, there was something that, uh, one of the moms said, I think it was in the Facebook group for the, the launch team, 
for mm-hmm. for the book. So they had had a pre-release copy. So she'd already read some of this, and she made the most profound point that I cannot stop thinking about, and that's that when she was growing up, and this is very true for me too, when we were growing up, a movie just had to be quote unquote clean in order for you to be able to see it. So it basically just couldn't have language or explicit sex scenes. But other than that, you're good to go. You can go watch it. (laughs) And she made this point that it was either her kids or someone else's kids. They, they were raised that way, but their entire worldview was shaped by Gilmore girls and friends. Ooh, because you know, there's no cuss words technically. There's no explicit sex scenes, but yeah. but it was like now her the, these kids, whoever these ones that she was talking about, are completely lost because they they were they were never taught to to see things this way, or to analyze the message and yeah. to pick it apart and find the the things that are valid and, and and find where that goes off the rails a little bit and what's a more biblical truth to apply there. I just think about friends like you don't have to. Um, show ca- uh, sex scenes to mm. have a strong, strong message that casual sex is fine. Exactly. Which would be a really strong message that you see all throughout the TV show Friends. Yes. And that's, and this is profound because there are, I, per, I mean, I don't know what the statistics say, but I personally know of many Christian couples that are living together. In fact, uh, the pastor yeah. of my church is, you know, a very conservative church. He was saying one of the, uh, when he did his class on marriage, he said one of the things that happens a lot is couples will come in for premarital counseling. And I mean, this is a conservative church that preaches mm-hmm. biblical values, sexual values, and and they'll come in for premarital counseling and they'll ask him about their living situation. And, and very often they're they're already living together. So they have to you know, they have to move the guy out and, and yeah. walk them through repentance and, and why that's a sin. And, and, and then, but, and I appreciate this about my churches. He says, we won't marry them if they're living together. Like we have to, to see that kind of repentance take place, which is great. But a lot of churches aren't doing that. And so much of that was shaped by friends. Yeah. The thing that surprises me with that is it's like the church has forgotten even what it should be ashamed of. It's Mm. as Rebecca used to say, we've forgotten how to blush. I remember several years ago meeting with a girl, um, kind of random thing. I wanted to, I wanted to learn Italian and I wanted to practice Italian. So I put an ad on Craigslist for a girl that wanted to learn Italian with me. And so I was meeting with this girl who went to a really solid church in the area, but then she starts talking to me about her boyfriend who she lives with, that they Mm. bought a house together. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very common. And she, it's like, it wasn't like, you know, there was no shame. There was no even acknowledgement that this, it shouldn't be happening. There's another person that I know that uh, goes to a church. They were in a small group and she and her fiance lived together. And when they bought a house, their small group threw them a housewarming party. Wow. And so just, we have gotten so lost mm. on what God's word actually says. Yes. I know we're kind of getting off, well, off it's topic really not, here. You know, I was just thinking it's really not off topic because this mm-hmm. is what we're hoping to train our kids to do because yeah. growing up in that culture where it was just like, okay, there's no cuss words and they're not like, you know, doing explicit sex scenes. So they're it's not okay. naked. So you they're can not see naked. So I can watch it. <laughs> but, but just lazily standing back and letting these worldviews, these philosophies, these messages just permeate our souls. And then yeah. we have a generation of, of Christian kids who, who don't know right from wrong. And yeah. I think that that's why this book is so important. And, and this is something I have really tried to do with my daughter. In fact, I will just tell you that since we started working on this book, it's really helped shape the way I parent her, especially, and, and my son as well. Whereas she, I mean, she, she will tell you that she, I don't let her watch anything that we don't talk about the message. And, and this frees me from the fear of some of the things that I know she's inevitably going to see at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's an age appropriate uh, level of things that I let her watch. Not like yeah, I let her go definitely. let her watch, you know, Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> even watch Game of Thrones. I was like, I haven't seen it, but from what I've heard, no, I don't think anybody heard, I, I don't, yeah, I agree. But, but so there's an age appropriate thing there, but she knows everything that she's watching. We're going to ask questions like, what is the message of the movie? What, what are they wanting you to believe about the world? Who are the good guys? What do the good guys believe about the world? Does that line up with biblical values? Because even the good guys sometimes don't 
don't do good and and biblical things. And so we talk about all of that. And, uh, you know, a perfect example is I sent you a picture from when we went to Toys R Us the other day and it was the... Oh, that Barbie. The Barbie. It was the... um, I can you can be anything. You can be anything Barbie or I can be anything Barbie. And really? Even Tyrannosaurus Rex? Yeah. See, that's a great practical way you can teach your kid to think critically is just point to that and say, can you be anything? Really? Can you be a, a T-Rex? Can you be a, you know, can you fly? <laughs> space. I want to be tall. That's my goal. Yeah. I, I'd like to be tall. <laughs> yes. Well, these days you guys, you could probably just identify as a tall person and you'd be I know. Good to go. But anyway, the, so, it, it doesn't inform my clothes selection, though. Unfortunately, my clothes You're, have not gotten the memo. They will tell you the truth. But yeah, yeah, so so it's really. In fact, my daughter, she knows. She just rolls her eyes now. She's just like, oh, here with the discernment again. <laughs> I'm telling you that eye roll means that I've heard you say this so many times, and that is like the best thing that a parent could possibly have. When when their kid starts rolling their eyes, it means the message is getting through. You yes. should be giving yourself a little parent high five at that point. Yes, definitely. Uh, well, I want to talk about, we're, we're almost out of time now, but I want to talk about linguistic theft because this mm-hmm. is an important chapter in the book. Yes. And it's something that we see in all realms, not just in, uh, you know, like the isms we're talking about, but I see it a lot in progressive Christianity. Talk to us about what is linguistic theft and why is this such an important topic? I think so. Linguistic theft is, I think, one of the most important chapters in the book. And if you remember, we originally had this as one of the lies and we had the dumbest name for it redefinitionalism. <laughs> yes, yes. I liked it. Redefinitionalism. I know. Well, we like the fact that we're like, we're going to make up a word to talk about the fact that people are changing the definition <laughs> of words. Yes. Yeah, we probably, thought we were so clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was when I was starting to, to really look into that chapter that I realized, oh, this isn't really as much of a lie as it is. This is the tactic that's being used to perpetrate a lot of the lies that are going on. Mm. So I've got a quote here. Uh, linguistic theft is much more sinister than just the evolution of language. Linguistic theft refers to purposefully hijacking words, changing their definitions, and then using the same words as tools of propaganda. This is not a new technique. It's an especially virulent form of the equivocation fallacy, but it's um, extremely prevalent right now. So the point of this is, this is something that I've seen going on all the time, especially with the words um, love, truth, and tolerance is that this the concept of love, God is love. And so what society is doing is they're taking God's word, love, mm. changing the definition, and then they're coming back on your Christian kids and saying, well, you call yourself a Christian, and God says love. Well, mm. love means that you uh, don't, you know, that you believe X, Y, Z, or that you don't treat people in a certain way. And basically, kids are like, well, I know I'm supposed to love and they're telling me this is what love means and this is what would be loving to them. So I Mm. guess that's what I'm supposed to do. And basically it gets them to swallow an agenda um, that they would not normally swallow because they're trying to actually, it's so sad. They're trying to actually follow scripture, but people are taking scriptural words and changing them. Uh, Likewise, the word tolerance. Um, If we wanted to use a different word that the New Testament really does use, that would be unity. Hmm. There is a lot in the New Testament about unity. And so in order to have unity, you have to tolerate differences. Um, and so what we're, the kids are being told, or actually I'm not even just the kids, all of us are being told that tolerance means that everybody is equally right. Hmm. And that we can't say anything about if, if we say that someone's not right, then that's intolerant. When if you go back to the classic definition of tolerance, it's treating someone with dignity and respect despite differences of opinion or I can't, I think I define it in here. Let me see if I can find it real quick. While you're looking for it, it's, I'm even reminded of the book of Revelation and one of the letters to the churches. I I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but Jesus is saying, you know, he's actually admonishing the church uh, because they're tolerating Jezebel. Mm -hmm. They're tolerating uh, this woman who, who had brought in this sinful stuff into the church. And, And he actually was chastising them for being too tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the, the, the Oxford dictionary, thankfully hasn't been uh, rewritten. I've noticed that dictionaries themselves have started changing. Yes. 
Uh, that's, that's a whole different thing to go into, but the classic definition is the ability or willingness to tolerate the existence of opinions or behavior that one dislikes or disagrees with. So this idea that we need to keep stressing to our, our children until we're getting the eye rolls Mm -hmm. is that you have to have dislike or disagreement. And so when, when they're being told that they're being intolerant or that something is intolerant, make sure to ask them, are these people asking for us to accept the belief as equally true or to live with them in peace despite disagreement? Mm. Uh, and unless your kids understand that difference, then they're going to be bullied into who knows how many things because they don't want to be seen as intolerant. They don't want to yeah. be seen as unloving. That And that's not a bad motivation for them to want to be loving and tolerant. It's just the fact that the definition has changed and they can't even rely on words anymore. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I just think about all our kids are up against this, this generation coming up, this Gen Z, they are up against so much. And I'm just, that's why I'm so thankful for you. And I'm thankful for Mama Bear Apologetics and just the small part I get to play in it. Uh, but as we as we come to a close here, what do you want to leave the moms with who are listening to this? I guess one of the things that I would like to there actually I do I have two things that I would like to leave them with. Um, number one is the feedback that I'm getting from this book. I have um, uh, we'll say a family member whose husband texted me the other day and says, "Oh my gosh, she's on page 84 after just, you know, the first couple of days. I don't, mm. don't think you understand what a big deal with this is cuz she's such a slow reader." <sighs> that she's able to read it and she's able to understand it. I have an aunt who I'm trying to think of. She's in her 60s and she always talks about how, you know, her her mind's kind of not as sharp as it used to be. And she's saying that she can understand everything perfectly. So Mm. if there is any mom out there who's either a, for my pregnancy moms (laughs) have the pregnancy brain or just, um, we should make a special pregnancy version of the book. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, I shouldn't have had it. It's like, that one's got pictures in it. Um, (laughs) but, uh, that this is not going to be over your head. There might be every now and then something that's over your head, but the predominant uh, feedback that I'm getting from people is that this is deep, it's meaty, but it's understandable, mm. which was, I just, I, I'm just rejoicing every time I get one of these um, either uh, feedback on Amazon or on Goodreader or someone just sends me a message on Facebook, which I'm getting those or, or email is saying, I'm able to read this. I'm able to understand this. And I'm Yes, that's exactly mm-hmm. what we were going for. That's why we did all those Skype sessions. But there's a second thing that I, w- I want people to take away with. And this was uh, this was a very unexpected thing. There is a demographic that I had not expected to uh, respond to this book that the way they're responding. Um, that is guess? grandparents. I was just oh. going to say that. Oh, sorry. And then you I, say I your thing. You say- and then I want to say something too about that because okay. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and so I, I was, I've been talking cause like I've been presenting this to my parents, small group. And so my parents, small group, they're all about their, their same age. So a lot of them are grandparents. And the thing that I think is unique about grandparents for this book is that they have lived mm. through seeing this ideological change. They are like, they are a little bit of the frog that's outside of the kettle mm. watching the frog that's in the kettle starting to boil to death. Yes. And they've been screaming, Hey, that, that water is getting pretty hot over there. Um, and no one's listening and this mm. gives them words. In fact, that's something else that I've had several people tell me that a lot of the stuff in this book is stuff that they had noticed, but they didn't have the words for it. And they feel empowered Mm. because they finally have the words to say what uh, what was wrong that they've been noticing. And that's, that's really, that to me just, again, is such confirmation that we did our job well is to pick up on things that everybody would, or the, the Christians were already picking up on, but then giving them way to finally talk about it. That is just, uh, I'm so pleased with that outcome. Yes, me too. And, and it's so funny that you would mention that because I was actually going to end with this story, uh, because okay. it, but it, it's just exactly what you're saying. So last weekend, uh, you know, for anyone who doesn't know this, I'm an artist in residence at uh, Whitewater Crossing Church in Ohio. So basically, once every four or five weeks, I go up there and I do their worship services. I, I lead worship and and then come back to to Nashville. And so I brought a bunch of books with me this time. Uh, 
because, you know, because there it was out. And f- well, first of all, I sold out in the first service. So I didn't even have any oh, leftover wow. for the second you service. You didn't tell me about this. Yeah, I know. I didn't even get to tell you this yet. But uh, so that was great. But the thing that was so, can I went out there and I stood by the table to kind of meet people and, and, well, I mean, I know a lot of them anyway, but just to say <laughs> hi to people and sign books if they wanted me to. But the, the number of grandmama bears who mm. bought multiple copies and then, I mean, and it's like, it's like they all planned it. I, d- I don't know how they all knew, but they all did the same thing. They kind of looked at me si- with some side eye and they were like, no, I'm going to read this first before I give it to my daughter and my daughter-in-law <laughs> and all these people. And I was like, see, you get it. You can skip the first three chapters. Like <laughs> you, you don't even, you know, you know, you're already a yeah. grandmama bear. Like she's giving me side eye, like saying she's going to check. And I'm like, yes, this is exactly what we want. And it I was just, it. it was really stunning how many grandma and they bought multiple copies. Yeah. And in fact, people have posted pictures on Facebook and this is also the unexpected where, um, they're, they're posting pictures of them holding three copies yeah. or five copies. There is one guy that has an entire box full and, and I, I still haven't asked him, who are you giving all that to? But it's uh, like people are recognizing that the, the value of the book mm-hmm. and they're wanting to buy it for all the people that they know. And I, I, again, I just, I just feel so honored that, yeah. um, people are seeing the value of this book. And so I, I hope that it just only gains momentum and that people are able to, again, they, that they can start having these conversations themselves because this book is equipping them and it's empowering them to address these lives that they're seeing. Yeah. All right. The book is called Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. You can get it anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If someone has any connections to Hobby Lobby, I would really love to see it in Hobby Lobby, but I don't know if we have that yet. Yes. Message in if you know anyone at Hobby Lobby. Someone make it happen. (laughs) Make it happen. Hillary, it was so fun. Thank you for being on my podcast finally. Yes, I enjoyed myself. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can sign up to receive my posts by email by going to alisachilders.com and clicking the subscribe button or simply subscribe to the Elisa Childers podcast on iTunes. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.